Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. How many wants to change the world that you live in? We're not talking about the Mother Earth. We're talking about the world that you live in, the contacts, the people you come involved with. Because guess what, mister? You live in a different world to me. Not meaning you're an alien or I'm an alien, but the people I come in contact with may not be the people you come in contact with. So we all reach a different world. Yes, our worlds may intersect and overlap each other, but that's why it's important that you don't just rely on Pastor Philip to touch the people in your world, because Pastor P ain't in your world. You need to touch the world. And that's why we're going to be talking about March gladness, because how can we give it if we don't have it? How can we share? What did Peter and John say? Such as I wished I had. Such as I, come on, help me out in the house. It's not a trick question. Such as I, such as I have not had, not hope to have, such as present right now, I want to give unto you. How many realize there's, there's a lot of sadness and there's a lot of madness out there? An awful lot of sadness. Turn on the news. If you want to be depressed, turn on the news. If you want to be sad, read the paper. There's a lot of sadness and there sure is a lot of madness. How many have looked at circumstances and situations recently and said, man, that is just madness. How can people do that? How can people be lower their standards? And how can people not have morals anymore that they're doing such things? So there's a lot of sadness. There's a lot of madness. And it's time that we have some gladness. Do I hear an amen? It's time that we have some gladness. And here's the problem with gladness. You're the one that's supposed to bring it to the world. You're the one that's supposed to bring the gladness of God to this world. So if you're complaining about the madness and the sadness, you need to do something about it. And that's what we're going to be talking about this month. I'm going to do something about it. Come on, say with me. I am going to change my world. And it's going to to begin inside of me. Because that's where it has to start, inside of every one of us. Of you. So we're going to deal with two thoughts, really, when it comes to gladness in the house. Obviously, the first thought is gladness in his house, talking about the church. What does it say in Psalms 122, verse 1? I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I wonder if that was your testimony this morning when your clock woke you up an hour earlier. I wonder how many gladness there was in your heart today. I wonder how many rolled over with your bad breath, as Josh alluded to, and said to the person, if you're married, beside you, maybe we could just skip church today. Don't feel like going. 
Come on, the Bible says, I was glad. David is saying there was something that happened. You know why I believe David was saying he was glad when he went to the house? Because he knew when he got to the house, all his problems would be solved. When he got to the house, there was the answer to every need that he could ever have. In this book is the answer to every problem that you will ever face in your life. If you don't believe me, read it. Read it and let God bring it alive. It's not just words on a page. The Word of God says it's living. Come on, it's powerful. It's alive. It's able to change it. Come on, I feel like preaching in the house today. I'm going to preach some gladness into you today. So David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Say with me, gladness in the house. Look what the message Bible says. When they said, let us go to the house of God, my heart leaped for joy. How incredible when we begin to realize the power that is available to us in the house of God. What can happen? Listen, if you're struggling with your kids, get them in the house of God. If you're struggling in your finances, invest into the house of God. By the way, that means tithe. If you're sick, you know, there's a lot of people. And for those of you who kind of have kind of infectious stuff, we're glad you stay at home. But for those of you, a lot of people turn around and say, well, I just wasn't feeling well, so I didn't come. Come on, we need to be driven to the house. When we were sick, when we were kids, we were drugged to the house because that's where our healing was. When we didn't feel like coming, it didn't matter. We were drugged here. If we're depressed, this is where our liberty and freedom comes. Don't you think Satan knows that? Why do you think so many things oppose you on a Sunday? It's amazing. Watch how many Wednesdays out of the week it rains because we have church Wednesday night. It's amazing. The the bad weather that comes in on a Wednesday. Why? Because Satan uses any means possible what to keep us from the house. Why? Because there's life in the house. God says this to David when David wanted to build a temple, a house to God. God says, you're not going to do it because you've shed too much bloodshed. But your son Solomon, I see David what's in your heart, God said. Make preparation for your son. Instruct your son. But God said to him, because you want to build me a house, God says, I'll build your house. That's why we invest in the house of God, because when we build into the house, a place of gladness, a place that's happening. Come on, a lot of people think church is boring and miserable. Obviously, they haven't been to our church. Come on, I said, obviously, they haven't been to our church. I like what David said. When someone said to David, actually, his wife, Micah, said to David, you know what, son? You need to calm down a little bit. You kind of showed yourself. You made a spectacle of yourself today. And I'm telling you, I want this to be the testimony of our church. Paraphrase, David looked at her and he said, sweetheart, you ain't seen nothing yet. He said, you haven't seen anything yet. In fact, the Bible says, he said, I will become even more undignified than this. He wasn't talking about making a fool of himself. But what he was talking about was killing pride, killing self, and realizing there is such greatness in the house of God. There is such greatness in praising God and worshiping God. I wish I had a witness in the house today. There's such victory that comes when we realize there's life in the house. There's gladness in the house. Come on, church is not a museum. Church is not a library. Shh, we're in the library. Some of you may turn around and say, well, you're kind of loud in church. Well, I'm just going to say sorry to you and just leave it there. Sorry if we're too loud. We're not going to turn down the volume. 
We're going to pump it up. Come on, we're going to pump it up in the house. Because I believe the model of church, what God wants our church to be, we're not there yet. There should be so much life. There should be so much anticipation. You should be looking forward to all week coming to the house of God. Why? Because every need you believe is going to be met. You're bringing friends and people. Why? Because you're saying, come to the house. There's your healing there. Come to the house. There's your deliverance there. Can you tell I'm passionate about the house of God? I love the house of God. I was brought up in the house of God. I'm here today still in the house of God because my parents brought me to the house of God. They taught me the importance of the house of God, the priority of the house of God. And David says, my heart leapt with joy that I was able to go into his house. What a privilege we have. Can I say that? We have a privilege to be in church. There's a lot of countries throughout this world that they would be killed for coming to a church. But yet Christianity is growing and there is a greater excitement in those places where they are killed for coming to church than where we're in a free nation and we can come to church. I think one of the biggest problems we have is the problem of choice because we've got too many choices. And we choose what we will do and what we won't do. Come on, we need to say, hey, there's no choice. This is how it's going to be. Come on, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Come on, I was glad when they said unto me, come on, say with me, gladness in his house. So that's the first thought today, gladness in his house. That's my introduction. Now we're talking about gladness in your house. Say that with me, gladness in my house. I know it says your house, but it's my house. So say that with me, gladness in my house. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19, it says these words, know ye not, or did you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Now we know that the house of God is a place where God wants to move, but we've got to understand the house of God really is not four walls and a roof. The Bible says that you are the house of God. So if there's going to be joy in his house, corporately together, how many realizes there first has to be joy and gladness in our house? Because we are the temple, we are the body, we are the embodiment of what God wants to come and live inside of us. The Bible says it's God in you that is the hope of glory, that we've got to realize that we are the body of Christ. We are the temple of Christ. We are the house of God. And therefore, it's not just an outer excitement that we need to have, but an inner joy and gladness. You know, many people today are on a quest for happiness. You look around them today, if only I could just get a new car, I'll be happy. If only I could just get that computer, that new iPad that they're bringing out. What is it, four, five, six, seven, something like that? Whatever it is, iPad 5 or something. I mean, they're going to go in double digits by the end of this year. If I could just have this. If I could just find myself the right girl or the right guy. The right one. Watch out. Not the right one. The right two. Thank you. One person listened last month. If I could just find, there's a lot of people out there on a quest for happiness. If I could just have this, if I could just get that promotion, if I could just get that pay rise, man, my life would be complete. And there's nothing wrong with being happy. I think we should be happy. In fact, I heard this once, if you're happy, then maybe you need to notify your face. Come on, just, um, just hook, a, hook your face up a little bit. Too many miserable Christians. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, I hope he's not talking to you. 
too many miserable. It's no wonder people don't want to come to church. I wouldn't come to some churches either. Because if they looked like that when they went in, God only knows what they're going to look like when they come out. So if you're happy, notify your face. Too many Christians look like they've been sucking on pickle juice. Pickled in the stuff too, I think. But there's a lot of people on a quest for happiness. It's okay to be happy. I believe as children of God, we should be happy. But listen to this. Happiness alone is determined upon circumstances. Happiness on its own is fully determined upon circumstances. Happiness or the quest of happiness is very superficial. It's very on the surface. Therefore, it's shallow and it has no depth. And listen, if all you're seeking happiness for, it can change in a moment can change. Don't believe me. You can wake up. You can actually wake up happy. It may take some of you a pot and a half of coffee to get some happiness in you, but you're finally happy. It may take some of you to a Wednesday because you hate Mondays and you hate Tuesdays. Someone said, it'd be great if we didn't have to go to work on Monday. And I said, then what would happen on Tuesday? You would say the same thing. So we're going to work Monday, so suck it up and just enjoy it and smile. Unless you're Pastor P and you take Mondays off. Thank you, Jesus. But so you're waking up happy. Your happiness is you're happy. And you're driving. We're showing you an illustration of how quickly your happiness can go. You're driving to work. You've got the, the radio on. You've got K-Love on. You've got a CD player on. You're listening to Pastor P's message in your car. Man, you're worshiping God. You're just getting lost in God. You're praying with your eyes open because you're driving. But all of a sudden, someone pulls out in front of you. You're so lost in worship that before you know it, you can't stop in time. And all of a sudden, bang. Right there, your happiness is gone. I mean, your happiness is gone. Not only is your day ruined, I mean, your day is over. How many knows what I'm talking about right now? Not only is your day ruined, probably your week is gone. Because you've already told yourself, I've got to do this, this, this. And you already basically tell yourself, I'm just going to be miserable for the rest of the week. And it's only Monday. But I'm just going to be miserable. Happiness can be taken from you just like that. Happy one moment, bam, it's God. We're not talking about being happy. We're talking about being glad. We're talking about having an inner joy inside of you. And you know why you have that inner joy? Because you're connected to the source. You are connected to the source. Come on. Gladness is being connected directly to the source. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 12. I'm going to read the chapter for you today. It's only a few verses. But it says this. And in that day you will say, O Lord, I will praise you. Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust in you. I will not be afraid for Yah, the Lord, is my strength and song and he has become my salvation. Look at verse 3, key verse. Therefore, with joy, I will draw water from the wells of salvation. And in that day, you will say, praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his deeds amongst the people, make mention that his name is exalted, sing to the Lord, for he has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, O inhabitants of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of you. 
Now we see here, and I'm not going to go into great depth, but we see here that God is angry at them. They've sinned against God. We see that there's adversity, that we see that there's trials. But in the middle of it all, there is a key that says, with joy, with gladness, I will draw water. I will draw water from the well of my salvation. Therefore, I will draw gladness from God. What is it saying? Despite it all, God is a well of source. A source for every one of our lives that we're not just happy because things are going good, but there's such an inner joy and peace inside of us. Why? Because we're connected to God. Christians should be different. A man that I know, or my parents have known for years, his name was Demas Shakarian. He wrote a book called The Happiest People on the Face of the Earth. You know who he was talking about? Christians, believe it or not. He was talking about Christians. We're not talking about drawing water in a bucket that you can go down the street or draw up. That's what the lady at the well thought. Remember when Jesus says, I'll give you living water? She says, how can you give me living water? You don't even have a bucket. We're not talking about the natural. We're talking about the supernatural. We're talking about a God that despite everything you're facing in your life, He can give you an inner strength, an inner joy, an inner gladness that no matter what, when the enemy kicks you and you're down, there's still a joy inside of your heart. A strength. My God, we need this. We need this. We need to be reminded that it's available to us because some of us haven't drawn much water lately. We're not connected to the source. Despite it all, we can still have joy. We can have inner peace, hope, and gladness. And others are going to look and say, that's madness. Others are going to look around and complain about it. But guess what? You're going to understand what it really means to live in the gladness of God. You know what? Gladness is a byproduct of your relationship with God. As a result of your relationship with God, gladness will come. Because the more you love Him, the more you'll trust Him. The more you trust Him, the more you realize that no matter what, He's there. You know what? God has to kick my butt someday. I'm just going to be honest with you. God has to kick my butt someday when I read the Bible and I read of the children of Israel standing at an impossible situation. And I see myself just like them, grumbling and complaining. And God says, no problem, just go forward. And you're thinking, there's no way to go forward. Come on. God had to turn Moses around because Moses was looking in the wrong direction because when you see impossibility in front of you, you can't go forward. So what do you do? You turn your back to what's impossible and you look to the enemy behind you. I wonder how many of us are looking to the enemy as our source instead of looking forward. And God says to Moses, what's in your hand? He didn't have much. Come on, what's in your hand? Maybe it's a computer because that's what you work with. Maybe it's a whistle because you're a coach. Maybe it's a pencil because you're a teacher. Maybe it's a hammer because you're a carpenter. What is in your hand, God says, if you yield it to me, I can produce miracles. Moses stretched out his hand and the sea opened up. You know what? God kicks my butt with stuff like that because I look at my problems and think my problems are nothing like that. And God wants us to realize that he is still the source to meet your every need. But yet we miss it so many times because we grumble, we complain, we're miserable, we're depressed. Instead of allowing the joy of the Lord to become our strength, to flood us. Come on, we need to connect to the source. Come on, say with me, connect to the source. Come on, we need some gladness in our hearts. We need some gladness inside of us. We need to realize it's available. Why? Because it's a byproduct of our relationship with God. 
For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about today, we're going to give you the opportunity at the end of this service because you can know today the gladness of a God that loves you despite it all. Let me give you some scriptures on gladness. Can I do that today? Just in case you think I'm lying. Let me take it from the Word of God. Isaiah 61 verse 3. It says, Consult those, or console those rather, who mourn in Zion. To give them beauty for ashes, look at this, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. The Bible says that he gives us joy for mourning. Some of us need it in the a.m., but that's not the morning it's talking about. But some of us do need that too, and he's able to give that. But when you're going through loss, when you're going through heartache, when you're going through pain, guess what? God says, I'll give you joy. He doesn't say only, I'll give you joy. I want you to hear this today. He says, I am joy. I am joy. I'm able to meet your every need. Look at Matthew 25, verse 21, when the Bible says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. But notice what it says. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Come on, what do you think the joy of the Lord there is? To be miserable, depressed? No, but it talks about as we are faithful, guess what? God will be faithful. As we build his house, he will build our house. As we trust in God, there is joy, there is strength, there is peace that comes. Man, I wish you were getting this today. Come on, I'm preaching my heart out to you today. I'm trying to get some joy inside of you that's going to see you through this week and the next week. That no matter what comes, you'll have a smile on your face. That your hands will go up in the air and say like Job, though he slay me, yet will I still trust him. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. But what did Job say? Blessed be the name of the Lord. He had to get to that place so God could take him to the other place. And you know where the other place was? That God increased and restored to him back in the later part of his life. You can't get the blessing if you don't go through the troubles. If you can't praise God when things aren't going well, you know what? You may be able to praise Him when they're good, but you know what? It's going to be shallow praise. Can I tell you where you really understand and realize where God is when you're going through the fire? Come on. Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego thought they had a relationship till they were in the middle of the fire. Come on, I feel like preaching today. They thought they knew God, but they knew God in a whole new fashion when they were bound up and they were thrown into the fire. Because I'm sure what went through their mind was, God, if you don't come through, we're in trouble. God, if you don't come through, we're toast. We're the barbecue, we're on the menu. But God came through. And can I tell you how God came through? God set them free and the Bible says that when they came out, not even a smell of smoke. Jimmy and Kayla and I were talking the other day in the office about how it's amazing when people smoke around you, they can be two cars in front of you and you can still smell it in your car driving down the street. Not a smell of smoke was upon them. Don't tell me that God can't meet your need. But we need to be connected. There needs to be a joy. With joy shall I draw water from the well of salvation. Come on, enter into the joy of the Lord. Listen, God didn't promise it would be easy. But he promised his grace was sufficient. He promised that he'd be there. He promised to give you. Listen, when there's something greater inside of you than what's on the outside of you, come on, you're going to stand the pressure. 
If you don't have something greater inside of you, you're going to crush under the pressure. That's why Paul could write, I may be perplexed, but guess what? I may be knocked down. I may be forsaken. I may be all these things. But can I tell you one thing? No, he didn't say I was forsaken. He said, I'm not forsaken. He said, I may be knocked down, but I'm not knocked out. I may be perplexed, but guess what? I'm not crushed. Why? Because greater is he that is within me than he that is in the world. Come on, you need to know that scripture. You need to start claiming that. Why? Because there's a gladness that can come when you realize God is greater than any circumstance and situation. God is greater than any problem that you could ever face. My God is greater. My God is greater. John 15, 11, speaking about the vine, abiding in God. It says, these things I've spoke to you that my joy may remain in you and listen to this, I love this, and your joy may be running on empty. And your joy may be full. Come on, I'm just checking, making sure you're following me in the house today. But as we abide in him, he spoke to us that as we're connected to the source, come on, his joy wants to come upon us. And guess what? Our joy now can be full. As we're connected to God. Man, it excites me. If you're not excited about it, then I'm sorry. I'll take some of yours. Come on, give it to me, God. If they don't want it, I'll take it. Come on. Connected to the source that your joy may be full. Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with some joy. Oh, come on. Good. Come on. Help me. Someone's helping me in the house. May the God of joy fill, or hope fill you with all joy. How many knows that God's got everything you need? Come on, if you came in here doubting today that God's able to handle your problems, come on, you're going to leave here with some gladness inside of you today because you're going to square your shoulders back and say, devil, whatever you're going to throw at me, guess what? There's all joy that God can give me that despite it all, I'm going to make it through. Come on, your marriage may be in tatters today. Get some gladness in your heart. Come on, maybe that's the problem with your marriage. You need some gladness. Don't understand why the people around me at work don't want to come to work Look at you, or come to church. Have you looked at yourself in the mirror lately? Maybe you need some gladness. Turn to your neighbor and say, you need a dose of gladness. You need a shot. Look at James 1 verse 2. And can I tell you, everything was going absolutely fantastic till we read this verse. I mean, some of you are saying, Pastor P, we could have lived without this one. You had us up there and now you're taking a stand. What is James 1, 2? Count it all... When you fall into various trials. You see, the joy of the Lord, a relationship with God, God as your source can tell you what? Because he is your source, you will begin to understand that afflictions and adversities is to build you and not to destroy you. And that's why you can say, I'm a better person because of what I've faced. I'm a bigger person because I've proven God. I'm a bigger person because of things I've gone through in my life. And I know some other people in the house know what I'm talking about. Come on, I'm changed because of the things. And I liked it easy. And I wished we could have it easy all the time. But you know, an easy life is a what? An easy way. When the going gets tough, that's when the tough gets going. Count it all joy. That's that all joy again that God's able to give. Why? Because God wants to produce something in you. It's a joy that wants to strengthen us. There are so many other like scriptures, and for the sake of time, I haven't got time to go through it. But gladness, despite it all, can still be alive inside of you. Say it with me. Gladness in his house. Gladness in my house. 
Come on, say it again because it's important because they're connected. There's going to be no life in his house if there's no life in your house. Do I hear an amen? Gladness in his house because there's gladness in my house. For the next few weeks, we're going to talk about what can steal your gladness. What can steal your gladness? You know what we're going to hit you with today? Worry. 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 One of Satan's greatest tools that he can use to steal your gladness. And you know the funny thing about worry is as soon as some people hear that word, they begin to worry. I just had forgot about that and you said worry and now Pastor P, you just brought it all back. You know, one of the craziest things about worry is this. We have convinced ourselves somehow it helps us and helps our situation. If I just sit and worry about it, I'm going to solve it. Have you ever worried about being late for work? Because you were stuck in traffic? How has when you began to worry, did all the traffic lights miraculously turn to green and all the cars part in front of you like the Red Sea and you made it to work on time? Did worry help you to get to work on time? But it probably helped you get to work a lot more miserable than how you were when you left for work. We've convinced ourselves that if I worry, it's going to help the situation. If I'm worrying about my kids, it's going to solve my kids. If I worry about this or if I worry about that, why? Because it's natural. Everyone worries. I mean, everyone does it. It's amazing how many things we go through in life we don't have to be taught to do. Have you ever had a class on? We're going to have a class on Wednesday night teaching you how to worry. You don't have to teach people how to worry. You don't have to teach people how to sin. That's that natural tendency. That's the flesh man inside of us. That's the rule of Satan that wants to control us and overpower the spirit life, the spirit man inside of us. That worry will help your situation could not be further from the truth. Here's the first thing you must understand about worry, and that is this. Worry is a sin. Worry is a sin. And the last time I checked, sin is the separating factor between you and God. So worry will separate, put a wall of division between you and God. Why? Because through worry, listen to me, this is what we do. We doubt God's ability to provide and take care of our lives. We say, God, you're not able, I need to help you. We think we're helping him when we worry. All we're doing is we're blocking him out from our situation and circumstances. So worry is a sin, but listen... If you are sinning, you will worry. Because when you sin, worry does come. Because how many times have you seen people who sin and they're doing something wrong? They're always looking over their shoulder. Why? They're worried they're going to get caught. So worry is a sin and sin will cause worry. So we've got to watch whichever way we find ourselves in. We've got to get rid of worry because sin is not a good circumstance. Sin will always put you in the wrong spot. And it will always disconnect you from your source or at least restrict the flow. Look what the Bible says about worry in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. Jesus says, therefore I say unto you, do not worry. We could really end the message and should really end the message there and say, let me pray for you, let's go home. Because if God says don't do it, we shouldn't do it. Because if we do it, we're going against his word. We're in rebellion to his word. We don't like that word rebellion, but that's exactly what we're doing. We are in rebellion to his word. The Bible says don't worry. Listen, stop there for a second. We're going to read on in a moment, but listen to me. The word worry there in the Greek, here's the word, 
is this, Marizo. It's M-E-R-I-Z-O, Marizo. And I'm probably killing the pronunciation, but that's okay. Notice what it means. It means to divide in parts. I want you to get the picture today of what worry's intent is to your life. It's to divide your life, to cut you up into pieces, to tear you apart, to divide your life. It will divide relationships. It will divide love. It will divide families. It will divide. I mean, its goal is to divide into parts. There's nothing greater that Satan wants to do than not make you whole. When people came to Jesus, he says, your faith has made you sozo. Your faith has made you whole, complete. We know God's in the completing business and we know Satan's in the dividing business. He wants to use worry to divide you into parts. But it doesn't stop there. It further suggests that then it becomes a distraction or a preoccupation. That we get preoccupied by those things. You know what? We never get worried and preoccupied about God. We never get distracted by God, do we? But we get distracted from God and we get preoccupied away from God. It further goes on or it causes that distraction and preoccupation, the dividing causes anxiety, stress and pressure. You know why Jesus said, do not worry? You know why Jesus is instructing us still today not to worry? And here's why. Because of the watchful care of a heavenly Father who is ever mindful of every one of your daily needs. Why did he say, don't worry? Because he said, I know my God can take care of every one of your needs. What an incredible, life-changing place our lives would come to if we could trust and realize that all things work together for good for those who are the called and those who love God I'm preaching to myself today can I tell you I hate to say it but I worry sometimes and I've got to admit just like everyone else I'm dis I'm doubting and I'm disbelieving the ability that God has to take care of my life let's read on it says therefore do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not more life than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither, t- they neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than them? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to your stature? Listen to what the New Living Translation says of verse 27. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Of course not. Can I interject something here? There's a difference between worry and concern. Worry will immobilize you, but concern moves you into action. Worry will immobilize you, but concern will move you into action. Let's continue reading verse 28, the first part, it says this, so why do you worry? Verse 31, therefore, don't worry. And then, it's amazing, there's something that's thrown in the middle of all this worry, 
which is verse 33, and it says this, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And in case you missed it, verse 34 goes on to say, Therefore, do not worry. Come on, if God says something once, it's important, but he said it like four or five times right here. And he's also thrown in the fact that if you seek me, I'm able to give all things to you. How much more do we need? It says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, meaning the things that are not yet here. A lot of people do that. Well, some of you are already worried about tomorrow, and it hasn't happened yet. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't worry. No, we're not going to be happy, are we? We're going to be glad. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, we're not happy, we're glad. Because our happiness is going to go on if someone cuts us off tomorrow or something happens. We're not talking about happiness anymore. We're talking about gladness. We're talking about being connected to the source. So worry is doubting God's ability over your life, your finances, your health, your children, your future. God first and he promises he'll handle the rest. Come on, say with me, gladness in my house. Come on, in his house, now my house. Come on, say gladness in my house. I was just reading Wednesday, March the 7th, just Wednesday this week. I was reading the word for today. If you haven't got one of those devotions, they are absolutely incredible. They're awesome bite-sized devotions we've got available outside there. Half a page devotion and a half a page can change your whole day. Absolutely incredible devotions. They really are. And that's why God's word is alive and, and God's word is true. But I need to move on today, okay? Where was I? Okay, here. So as I was reading on Wednesday, the author was talking about worry and he broke down worry into two things. Number one, here's why we worry. We number one worry because we won't get what we need. We worry because we're not going to get what we need. But here's the crazy thing. Then we worry that when we get it, that we'll lose what we've got. So we're worrying and we're worrying. We're worrying when we don't have it and then we're worrying when we do have it. Okay, so, so some of you just don't worry in the house. I said we're worried because we haven't got it. And then when we do get what we were worrying we didn't have, now we're worried that we're going to lose it. We're worrying, 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 worrying. Notice how worrying has it surrounded. Crazy cycle. There you go. The crazy worry cycle. So I'm going to share a quick story with you, and I need to move on. Come on, stretch your hands out to Pastor P and say, help in Jesus. Because I need what he's telling me today. Come on, we need to hear it today. Come on. Okay, listen to me. Luke chapter 10, verse 41. Quick story. Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, you are troubled about many things. The NIV says you are worried and upset about many things. I wonder if that could be a verse that perhaps would parallel our lives today. In the presence of Jesus, we're consumed by worry. Jesus was in their house. Here's the background of the story. Jesus went to Martha's house. Martha had a sister who was called Mary. Martha and Mary had a brother who was called Lazarus that Jesus later would raise from the dead. He was friends with these people. He's around their house. Martha wants to prepare, give the best for Jesus. Mary's sitting at his feet. Mary's seizing the moment. And instead of seizing the moment, what is Martha doing? She's worrying and she's upset. 
Isn't it amazing how we can get so caught up with stuff that we disconnect from the source? Jesus wants to live inside of every one of us. But yet we can get so caught up with other stuff that we can find ourselves worrying and complaining. A teacher at school when I was young, he used to say to us this, when we had a frown on our face, he used to say, smile because it never may happen. Think about that. Smile because it never may happen. And that's the truth of our lives. We worry about things that God is able to take care of. What does it say in verse 40 of Luke chapter 10? But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached Jesus and said to him, Lord, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. Worry had made her forget who was the servant and who was the Lord. I wonder how many times we forget who's servant and who's Lord. Worry will start telling us to tell God what he needs to do. Come on, you've got to hear this today. If you're not hearing anything else today, this is something important. Worry will turn the table around, and instead of us realizing we're servant and he's Lord, we'll begin to be servant and we'll begin to, t- we'll begin to be Lord and tell him as the servant what he needs to do. Don't you care? Tell her. Tell her. Tell her. From this story, we're going to see three things that worry will do to your life. Here's number one. We can be busy, but miserable. Worry will make us miserable in whatever we do. In our lives, in the busyness of our lives, we'll be miserable. Why? Because of worry. Unfortunately, too many of us fall into this category. I would hope that every one of us would like to live and want to live a life that pleases Jesus, just as Martha was trying to do. Listen, Martha, what she was trying to do wasn't sin. She wasn't sinning in what she was doing. She was trying to prepare for Jesus. But guess what? She allowed what the stuff, she allowed the busyness, she allowed doing to take the place of her relationship with him. We've got to watch that our work for him doesn't become more important than our relationship with him. Her worry had caused her to focus on the wrong thing and as a result of connecting to the wrong thing, she had disconnected from the right thing. And last time I checked, he's still the right thing. Caused her to disconnect from God. So Martha now is serving Jesus, but notice she's not enjoying what she's doing. Worry will destroy your relationship with God and make your life miserable. She had no joy. Why? Because of worry. Worry will steal your joy. Your relationship with God should never be a chore. Yes, there's going to be tough times. Yes, there's going to be hard times. But we talked about with joy, we can draw water from the well. Even in the tough, hard times, there's an inner strength and a joy that's going to bring us through. Why? Because the Bible says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. When you're weak, he said, I'll be strong. I'll let my joy be alive in you. So worry will cause you to only see the small picture. She lost sight of the picture that day and just saw the smallness. Worry will cause you just to see the small picture instead of seeing the big picture. How many needs to see the big picture again? Come on, we see our problems, don't we? We need to see the greatness of our God. Instead of telling our God how big our problems are, We need to tell our problems how big our God is. Number two, worry will steal your purpose. 
Satan did not take Martha out of the kitchen, but he just stole her purpose for being there. For some, there are some that when they get bitter, when they get upset, they'll just leave the church. But Satan, I believe, is a lot more effective when he doesn't make people leave the church, but what he does is he doesn't take them out of church or he doesn't take them out of their ministry. He just turns the focus on self. Hang with me right here. He turns the focus on self. And then what does he do? He discourages you or begins to discourage you by saying, you're overworked, you're not appreciated, people take advantage of you, you're nothing. And if Satan can get you to focus solely on self, guess what? You'll defeat yourself. Pastor Gustav said something so powerful on Wednesday. The title of his message is, you're a prophecy that must come to pass, that must happen. You're a prophecy, a fulfillment that must take place. But he says, the only one that can stop your life is you. The only one, oh, I thought it was the devil. No, the devil can't do anything that you don't allow him to do in your life. Greater is he that is within you than he that is in the world. Who's in the world? The devil. God's not given me a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind, able to overcome. So I'm an overcomer in God. But now Martha, because of her worry, she's now feeling sorry for herself. And what happens as a result? She's getting bitter. You begin to get bitter, you begin to get indifferent, and then you begin to withdraw yourself. You know what happens when you begin to lose your purpose through worry? Your heart will begin to harden. And we're not talking about the skin like we talked about last week, that you need a hard skin and then soft inside. But your heart will begin to harden from the inside. And guess what? Your heart then becomes unusable. God can't use a hardened heart. God can soften a heart, but he can't use a hardened heart. Her heart had become heavy. And it all started with worry. Satan wants nothing more than for you to lose sight of your purpose, your hope, your existence, the reason why you are connected. And what will he do? He'll cause you to worry. And then you begin to connect to that instead of connecting to God. I remember as a young guy, God would give me dreams of standing before thousands and thousands of people and preaching. As a young guy, about six, seven, eight years of age, have dreams at night. I knew from that age that God had called me to preach. I'd see myself standing in massive auditoriums preaching the glorious gospel of God. And things went through in my life and I faced a struggle in my life at one time and I got to the place where I thought God could never use me anymore. And Satan played with me. My dreams didn't change except the ending of the dream. What I found was Satan would take me back to those places of me standing before thousands and thousands of people. Satan would take me and show me people responding and me leading people in prayer. And then right at the end, he would say, that all was yours, but you blew it. It's amazing how Satan will show you those things but yet still tries to take them from you. Satan didn't tell me, oh, you can't have that anymore. He showed me all those things and stuck the knife in deep and twisted it. Showed me the dreams and made me believe. But can I tell you right now, I can't focus on that. As a young boy, I didn't worry about that. I pressed through and I trusted God. 
And God brought me through. Last but not least, are you hanging with me today? Your attitude is more important than your action. Your attitude is more important than your action. Your attitude will determine your altitude. Worry will destroy your right attitude. Look look what it says in Philippians 2 verse 14. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Man, if that's a verse we need to memorize. But you know what? We're probably good at memorizing. We need to apply it. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Another translation says, quit grumbling and arguing. A bad attitude spoils the gift that you offer to God. What did Jesus say to Martha? Jesus said to her this thing. He said, Martha, one thing is needed. One thing is needed. And he said, Mary has chosen that thing. What did she choose? To be at the feet of Jesus, not to be distracted. She wasn't being lazy. She wasn't not doing anything. She was seizing her moment. You see, what worry will do is take us from the feet of Jesus. It will busy us that we'll be miserable. It will make us lose our purpose for what we do, the heart for what we do. And then if we don't watch, it will give us a bad attitude that will destroy every action of our lives. We're not to worry. We shouldn't find ourselves consumed. Why? Because we'll separate ourselves from the source. We've got to let gladness rule in our lives. Come on, don't worry. Trust God. Have that inner joy and strength that no matter what, His joy can fill your joy. That my joy may be full or in you and that your joy may be full. We've got to connect to the source. We've got to get gladness back in our house. Why? Because worry is one of the tools. Next week, we're going to talk about insecurities. How insecurities steal that joy, that strength. We're going to talk about guilt. We're going to talk about things that want to steal our joy. And come on, how many realizes there's too much sadness and there's too much madness? Come on, God needs some people to understand true gladness that we can go into all the world and we can preach the gospel, but how can we preach to others if it first is not alive inside of our hearts? Would you stand to your feet with me today? Come on, gladness in the house. Gladness in my house. An inner strength and an inner joy that no matter what, come on, God's going to bring me through. Come on, I said God's going to bring me through. We'd like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's Word into effect. At Heartseas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.